Hello, I'm Josh Starmer and welcome to Human Stories in AI with StackQuest and Lightning AI. In this series, we'll hear about the career journeys of passionate AI experts. From their humble beginnings to conquered challenges, we'll be inspired by the real-world experiences of professionals thriving in the ever-evolving AI landscape. Human Stories in AI is brought to you by Lightning AI. Code together, prototype, train, and deploy AI web apps, all from your browser with zero setup. Personally, I love Lightning AI because it makes it super easy to use and learn from the StackQuest coding tutorials. Just go to the webpage, click on the Run button, and bam! You get code that you can play with without downloading anything or installing any packages. Today, we have special guest Tommy Tang, the Director of Computational Biology at Immutas Therapeutics. Tommy is a computational biologist with over 10 years of computational experience and six years wet lab experience, committed to reproducible research and open science. At Immutas Therapeutics, Tommy employs a single-cell sequencing platform to dissect the biology of immune cells and human tumors by using machine learning approaches and cloud computing. Before all of this, Tommy was a lead scientist at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. So, without further ado, Tommy, can you tell us about your journey to where you are right now at Immutas Therapeutics? How did this all start? It dates back to uh, my my childhood back in China, so I'm from China. I was born in China. In the south part of, south part of China, is in a, it was in a small town. I was born in a low-income family, and my dad was a middle school teacher, and my mom uh, didn't have a job. She was caring for me and my sister, and that was more than a full-time job. And we could never make ends meet, and I remember uh, there was this one day uh, we couldn't afford any meal and we, we could only have uh, a soup with soy sauce and green onions. Oh, <laughs> that, that was really hard. My mom always told me, uh, Tommy, you need to study hard and uh, only knowledge can change your life. So I studied really, really hard. So I actually got into the best high school. I was ranked number one in the county. And then I, and then later I, I uh, got into one of the top universities in, in China, that's there in Shanghai, and that's where I uh, had the opportunity to, to learn a little bit more like what's out there in the world, and, and because it's in a big city, and we also had a really good environment to go abroad, and I applied and many graduate schools in the U.S. So 2008, August 8th, I came to the States uh, uh, at the University of Florida to pursue my PhD at the Uni uh, University of Florida. And like I was actually trained in a wet uh, molecular biology, cancer biology lab, and I didn't know any data analysis skills. And at first year of my PhD, my advisor asked me to analyze this public available chip sequencing data set and it crashed my Excel. <laughs> that was the <laughs> first time I realized, okay, no matter how good my hands are in the lab, I, I need to uh, learn some computational skills. And I started to learn uh, computational biology online, like taking courses on edX, Coursera, and Udacity in the early days. <laughs> and uh, 
yeah, like I just enjoy like doing that because after the busy days uh, in the lab, I dash back to the apartment and then start to do like do the exercise, the homework, uh, do the homework, and also Google a lot online, and kind of uh, learn a little bit computational skills uh, in the last two years of my PhD. Then I moved to uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center as a full computational biology postdoc, and there my uh, advisor was. Uh, Dr. Rova Hack, who was leading the Cancer Genome Atlas uh, Glioblastoma project. So I had the opportunity to analyze uh, real large-scale gen uh, genomic data sets, TB size. Yeah. Now that sounds like a really big step of you were a lab biologist and a self-taught computational biologist. This is all stuff you did on your own. I mean, you took some online courses, but no, like, no formal degree, no master's, nothing like that. And now you've got a postdoc, which is basically a job, full-time job, in computational biology. Correct. Uh, was that stressful? Was that like, oh, this is just no big deal. I, you know, I, I took these online courses. I'm qualified to do yeah. this at the, at this huge cancer center. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely stressful. Right. Although like, so I, it took me six years for my PhD and the first four years I, I started, I mean, I already had two first, all the like publications, but they are all purely, uh, wet lab based. So that's why I stand, spent two more years, like to kind of learn a little bit more, like, Unix commands, basic R and Python. So I was kind of uh, better prepared for my postdoc, but of course, I mean, even after two years, I was still a beginner. So uh, I learned quite a bit actually during my postdoc at uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center. And they are also friends, uh, good colleagues in the same lab also helped me a lot just to learn a little bit more like advanced skills. but. Again, everybody is busy, and even they teach you something, you still need to spend a lot of time just by yourself and uh, do a little more studying like, after, after, after they teach you something, yeah. And from MD Anderson, what happened? Oh, yeah. So I stayed there like, for, for three years like, for my postdoc, and uh, there I learned quite a bit on like, different sequencing data analysis, like different types of sequencing data, like whole exon, whole genome, bulk RNA sequencing, chip sequencing, ATAC sequencing, some reduced bisulfite sequencing uh, to study DNA methylation. So I, I learned quite a bit of different data types. And then uh, I also learned uh, this workflow language called SnakeMake. Okay. So, and because like in, in my later uh, uh, years at MD Anderson, I was in uh, Dr. Kunal Rai's lab and his lab actually uh, developed this high-throughput uh, chip sequencing assay, and we, we were actually profiling actually six different histone modifications across hundreds of samples, and if you times six and plus like input control times seven, and that's like thousands of actually samples, and uh, we had to actually process those samples uh, uniformly, and that's how actually I uh, started to learn uh, SnakeMake and wrote this uh, pipeline to process all this data in the lab. So to, to summarize for sort of a general audience, um, you guys were uh, collecting data uh, 
sort of genetics related data and you were collecting a lot of it. And what you did is you created a pipeline for processing that data and analyzing that data and you used it using something called Snakemake, uh, which sounds fascinating in and of, of <laughs> It's its just own a self. Python extension. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so anyway, so just to, just to summarize so that everyone, we're all on the same page. Um, okay. So you've created this, uh, cool pipeline for, um, processing large amounts of data yes yeah yeah so then i extended like my snake pipeline to process all kinds of different assets that i've mentioned before so i looks like i have a, a good tool like on my belt and then i moved to uh, harvard uh, faculty of arts and science informatics division as a senior bioinformatician there i started to analyze single cell RNA sequencing and single cell attack sequencing data uh, so in collaboration with the uh, neuroscience lab. So I stayed there for one year and a half and I moved to Dana-Farber Institute to actually lead a big uh, NIH-funded consortium project called CIDC, Cancer Immunological Data Commons. So in that project, uh, four different cancer centers in the States, MD Anderson, Dana-Farber, uh, uh, Mount Sinai, and Stanford, they carry out uh, immunotherapy clinical trials and they profile those patients using uh, next generation sequencing technology like whole exon, whole genome, and uh, not, not whole genome, like uh, TCR sequencing and uh, Balkani sequencing. And it, maybe it's by coincidence like they were using SnakeMake. So <laughs> that, a perf that was a perfect position for me. So I, like, you never know uh, what you learn can be useful. Uh, That's hilarious. Point. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and in collaboration actually with uh, Eastern Theramis Group uh, at uh, Dana Faber, so their team is more, they are more like a software engineer team. So we actually process all those clinical trial data securely on the cloud, and then they will actually package our uh, pre -pro uniform process data sets into a really nice web portal and deliver it back to the clinical trial team for them to do downstream analysis and. Uh, Two years there, and I joined Immunitas Therapeutics yeah, and as, as the director of computational biology to establish their computational biology capability. And Immunitas is a single-cell uh, genomics company uh, trying to use single-cell RNA sequencing data and single-cell TCR sequencing data to find new therapeutic targets for, uh, for cancer patients. And we also have an antibody engineer team to generate those antibodies. So we, so the biology wet lab biology team can test those uh, two antibodies and eventually oh, get into the clinic. Yeah. So again, just to like bring everyone up to speed, um, what Tommy says when he says single cell, uh, that means that so like you can take so like your body is made up of all types of cells. They can take an individual cell and look and see what's going on within it rather than say like a whole bulk of cells and just sort of take the average of it. They can look at things on a single individual cell basis. And then they, it sounds like you guys can then develop potential therapeutics based on those results. So you've got sort of the, the, the basic research to identify targets. And mm -hmm. then there's a, there's a component that develops things that would bind to those targets and Correct. hopefully cure cancer or some disease. Correct. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, that is fascinating. Well, I can see why you'd be excited about being there. Yes. And just to, to note, like our leading program, yeah, it's called IMT-009. It's a CD161 antibody. 
So CD161 is a T-cell and NK-cell modulator. And hopefully if we can block it, then it can act with both T-cells and NK-cells and try to benefit the uh, patients. And now it's in clinical trial phase one. We dosed like seven, eight patients now. It's safe. And I'm really excited to see whether it's going to like benefit like patients. And That's yeah. amazing. So just to... Just, just so I understand, make sure I hear what you're saying, because yeah. this sounds fantastic yeah. and super exciting. You guys did some, some exploratory research, some single-cell stuff. You came up with a molecule that can then target things that you discovered, and that molecule is now in clinical trials, and it looks like it's working, is what you're saying. Just, just to clarify, uh, this molecule, specific molecule, was actually discovered by our co-founder, but using the same single-cell RNA sequencing, uh, single-cell TCR sequencing platform. And when I joined the uh, company, like uh, this, this molecule actually was already identified. What what I were, was doing is to actually using the same platform and trying to identify new targets. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's what you did. Okay, and, fantastic. And yes, and also now we have the uh, this drug on the clinical trial. We're dosing the patients, and we also generated data from the patients. So we are also supporting the uh, biomarker data analysis from those clinical the clinical trial. So, uh, so the molecule's there, but what you did is you found some new targets for it. The, no, new targets for like new antibodies to, to target. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's very exciting. Um, would you mind uh, sharing sort of like what techniques you guys are using? I mean, you've talked a little mm. bit about snake yeah. make. Um, but is there any sort of like, do you guys use machine learning at all or yeah. artificial intelligence or what, how do you, how do you interrogate your data? Yeah, that's a great question. So at Immunitas, we actually have a machine a ten, from 10X Genomics to generate single cell RNA sequencing data and single cell T cell, T cell receptor sequencing data. So what, what it can do is that for a single cell, you can have the genetic expression profile but you also know the T-cell receptor sequence. And what you can do is, okay, you can correlate the gene expression profile with the clonal expansion or T-cell phenotype. Because when a T-cell recognizes some antigen, it expands it. For example, it could be a, a tumor antigen. So when a T-cell recognizes it, it can expand it and try to destroy the, the tumor cells. And when the T cells expanded, all those same T cells, they will have the same actually exact uh, TCR sequence. Okay. So, so you, by just counting how many times that T cell receptor occurs in, in the cell population, you know, okay, how, many, ex, how much expansion that T cell is, is expanded. And then you can correlate the uh, gene expression profile with the T cell expansion phenotype. And you were asking what kind of machine learning approaches we use. Then we always start with simple, interpretable like machine learning approaches. For example, in this case, you can use like we we actually use single uh, uh, logistic regression. For example, you can de designate whether a T cell is expanded or not expanded. Then you can uh, essentially find correlation or anti-correlation of your gene expression to that phenotype. So either random forest or, or uh, logistic regression are used for that oh, purpose. Oh, fantastic. 
Um, just out of curiosity, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I'm no immunologist. And so a lot of what you said sort of just went right over my head. But let me, let me, again, let me see if I can uh, summarize things. So, mm -hmm. you know, like when I get a vaccine uh, for something, what happens is, um, one, I get a sore arm, but mm -hmm. then two, I guess there's a, an immune response that ramps up against the vaccine. Correct. And, and that's, that's that T cell expansion thing. Is that what you're talking about? How my body's making more cells that can attack yeah. whatever I'm getting immunized against. Correct. So uh, I think I'm not an immunologist either, but I learned quite a bit just by working with them. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think because the, the vaccine, like previously people used those like, uh, maybe just died with a virus like uh, inactivated virus and you inject into the body and the t-cells yeah as you said they actually recognize them right and then they will expand and try to clear clear them and then those t-cells to get memory they call it like t memory cells like and so after it clear all this virus and they become like dominant but they, they keep the memory but next time when the real virus come and those T cells have memory, so they can recognize it and expand really quickly and get rid of them. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! And and so what you're doing is so you're you're one you're you're checking to see if the T cells have expanded or not, and mm -hmm. you can do that just by counting the number of I guess T cell sequences yes, that you correct. that you're getting, and you're correlating that with single cell RNA gene expression. Correct. And and what's what cells are those? Are the, is that a different cell type or is that the same? Those are the same T cells. Same yeah. same T cells. Okay. Yeah. And so so with, so so when you have when you're like okay we've got a bunch of T cells and they're all uh, we sequenced the 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 receptor thing so we know that that the immune response is kicking in and we're and we're and we're building a large collection of these T cells. You can then say these genes positively correlated with this transition yeah. to expanding and sort of building an immune immune response yes that is very cool yeah there are many nuances like under <laughs> like under this like for, for example not necessarily like for example one famous example is uh, pd1 is the most famous uh, checkpoint for immunotherapy okay so, so tell us about pd1 so, I, I, this is all new for me <laughs> so pd1 <laughs> is an immune checkpoint on t cells so when the T cells are activated, so then the T cell, uh, the PD-1 expression will, be, will also increase actually. And what uh, the tumor cells can do is that they express its ligand called PD-L1, PD ligand 1. And the tumor cells will use the PD-L1 to block the PD-1. Oh, so what they do is, so there's this PD-1 thing. Yeah, and that does that promote? Does PD one promote uh, an immune response? So yes and and no. So PD one is more like uh, it kind of uh, PD one is more like uh, active. So when the T cells expand, PD one actually is up, and it's trying to actually. But then when PD one is too high, and it's also trying to damp the immune system, because you don't want to over activate the immune system. Okay. So and and so is so with the tumor has a defense against PD one, mm -hmm. and you're saying it creates something called a ligand. Yes, and and a ligand is something that 
that sort of fits fits into like like imagine PD one is like a glove yeah. and the and and the the ligand the PD one ligand that the that the cancer creates fits into that glove. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and what is that? What is the effect of that? So the effect will be the T cells will will actually bypass those uh, uh, cancer cells. Oh. So that's very sneaky. <laughs> yes, that's very sneaky. Yeah, <laughs> is that is that breaking the rules? I mean, is that fair? <laughs> it's not fair. Yeah, but, but tumor cells come up with those uh, mechanisms. They they up they upregulate PDL one and they, then then binds to the PD one on the T cells and T cells will actually just yeah will not work on those. Uh, oh wow. Cells. Okay. So 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 what, are you looking for ways to? bypass that checkpoint or what do you are you guys trying to figure out a way to to prevent the tumor from yeah from tricking the t-cells that's, that's already a drug in the in in the market like it's very uh like well-known drug and it's anti-pd1 uh antibody so the antibody will actually binds to the pd1 but only binds to it but so occupy that pocket so then the PDL1 from the tumor cells or from other immune cells, they cannot... Sort of bounces off. Yeah, it's already occupied, preoccupied by this antibody. So the T cells will remain active and then try to kill the, the tumor okay. cells. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that's, some, that's one of the things you're looking at when you're correlating uh, with... You're doing this logistic regression or yes. you're doing a random forest right. and you're saying... Uh, we're, we're looking at expression of genes, including maybe the expression of PD-1. Yeah, and um, in fact, PD-1 show up in our analysis, and that shows, okay, our analysis is, is making sense because, okay, PD-1 actually is up in those highly expanded T cells, yes. So that's a sort of a proof of concept. It's a way of calibrating your test to make Correct. sure it's actually working correctly. Yes, yes. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a way to... Um, is that sort of used to, to, to train your random forest and to train your, your, your logistic regression and figure out what thresholds to use for, for classification? Or? So, so in this case, we're not using it for classification. We are looking at the, uh, the weights of, of the, the features or the genes. So then we say, okay, which gene is uh, positively correlated or anti-correlated with this T-cell expansion? Okay. But again... So think about it here, like biology is more complicated. So PD-1 is, is like positively correlated with T-cell expansion. And T-cell expansion is a good phenotype we want to have. Yeah. Do you want to inhibit PD-1 or you, do you want to activate PD-1? <laughs> so in this case, actually we are inhibiting. We're not uh, trying to activate PD-1. Okay. Yeah. So, this, so biology is kind of complicated because the T-cells, they upregulate PD-1. Yeah. Like when they are trying, uh, they're, they're expanding. But then the immune system actually also trying to like damp down okay. the, the immune response because it's a balance <laughs> within the... Yeah, so, so it wants it to grow, but not, it doesn't want it to take over the entire body. It yeah. wants it just to, just to, you know, it's a way of, of, of promoting something, but then saying, okay, okay, we, enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't need to eat anymore. I've, I've had enough. I've had my fill. Let's, let's start toning things down. And yeah. And also PD-1 is also a, like immune, 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 like exhaustion marker. Oh, so okay. immune exhaustion means the T cells, they are activated for too long. 
Okay. And then PD1 is high, really high, but then they lost the ability actually to attack the, the tumor cells, so they're exhausted. So that's why if uh, we want to try to actually block <laughs> the PD1, and some people say, what well, try to reinvigorate those like exhausted T cells. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so it sounds like you've got relatively large data sets. Uh, is that correct? Um, and the, the, the question uh, that follows up from that is, how do you guys manage all that data? Do you do it in-house? Do you have like a huge data warehouse on site? Or do you lease space in the cloud? Or, or how do you manage all that data? And how do you manage your, your, your pipelines in terms of where's the computing happening? And yeah, we're using uh, Snake, uh, Google Cloud. Okay. And uh, so Google Cloud, so the good part of that, you can spin up any size of a uh, virtual machine and with a big enough RAM and disk space. So single cell, uh, I mean, you can sometimes have millions of cells in a single data set. It can be huge. So we can't all uh, process the data on our desktop. So we have to use the Google Cloud. But then... And I told you we sequence those. Uh, we actually make libraries uh, in house, but then we send it to uh, Broad for sequencing. Then we grab all the FastQ files and then uh, send it to one of the virtual machine. And we actually also write uh, SnakeMake pipelines to okay. uh, crunch those data in house. We have a, a, a pipeline for single cell pre-processing. Yeah. So once you get the data all in the cloud, you then run this uh, SnakeMake pipeline, data analysis pipeline, yes. uh, to sort of do all the analysis for you. And that's also done up in the cloud. Correct. Correct. Yeah. How, just out of curiosity, how long does a, does a typical analysis take to run? You know, for, for pre-processing, it doesn't probably take that long. Also, but that depends on uh, what uh, tools are you using. From 10x Genomics, they have their commercial solution called Cell Ranger. is a uh, pipeline they developed, so you can run that. But that can take you like tens of hours just to do the pre-processing from the FastQ files to the final account metrics like rows of genes, columns of the cells. So, and if uh, you use some other tools called like Crystal Bus Tool or like uh, Cellman. Those are so-called alignment-free uh, tools, and they also have single-cell version for uh, for quantification. And usually, that takes like within one hour or something like that. It's oh, much wow. faster. Oh so wow! It's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, but then the challenge really is for downstream analysis. Also, uh, for example, for uh, uh, cell and cell type annotation, the, it, this is more challenging. Uh, for example, because single-cell, like. First, the size is big. Second, there are many zeros. So the data matrix is kind of sparse. You, you have to treat them a little bit uh, specially. And for cell annotation, that's one of the most challenging problems because after the most, usually people do, okay, they sequence a bunch of cells, for example, in the tumor, but the tumor mass contains so many different cell types, different immune cells, cancer cells, and you want to actually uh, classify them. Uh, using either like marker-based method or like machine learning approach. And, but the thing is, no matter like 
how much work you you do try to automatically predict those cell types if you work with the immunologist they will always actually change your annotation because oh for real <laughs> yeah because the the can the immune cell state is very complicated you can't there's no there's no one fit all actually uh, annotation uh, nomenclature uh, different cell states and uh, that's uh, one of the big challenges there yeah so uh so I guess a question I have is, how do they know? <laughs> there, there's, there's no ground truth here. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that, okay. That's the hard part. Like, I think for simple data sets, like some people, like they they can do some like synthetic like data sets, like more like artificial data sets. For example, they have different cell lines. They know they're kind of homogeneous for each other, but then they mix, for example, three different like uh, cell lines together and then you sequence them then you class them okay they probably are separate into three different clusters that's kind of uh, very clear but biology is always uh, more complicated because the cells can have different cell state from this state to this state it's, it's a continuous like a process you can cannot like just make a discrete whatever cell type <laughs> uh, based on yeah the gene expression is very tough yeah so, so when you're looking at individual cells rather than the average of a big pile of cells, yes. when you're looking at individual ones, they may all be from the same cell type, mm -hmm. but they could be doing different things or, 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 or a different stage in their life cycle Correct. or something like Correct. that. And so uh, they may not all, they're not like, I mean, in some sense they're clones, yeah. but they're, but they're not all doing the same thing. Yes. They're not all like we're doing the exact same thing. And as a result, it can be tricky. So when, when they're doing different things, that means they're using different genes yes. and activating different things. So when you're looking, when you're doing the analysis, it can be difficult to say, yes, these two cells are the same type. They're just doing different, there are different stages in their lives. Yeah, yeah. I think exactly you're right. I guess some cells, they are of the same cell type per se, but they are... Uh, they're of different state. They're like different. They're work, They're actually exact. Their function a little bit differently, and uh, it's also a little bit philosophical uh, question. Like when you define cell types, you're trying to class the cells, right? But then, when you class the cells, you're defining a distance matrix, like between the, within the cluster, right? Oh, okay. How how close are they? But then in reality, this single cell is different from this single cell, like. It's like two, like two cells. Those are two different clusters, right? So, and when you do single cell analysis, actually, there's a parameter that you need to find that you need. You can tune. Okay, what's the resolution you want to look at? If you increase the resolution in that tool, you get more clusters. If you decrease, then you get like a smaller number of clusters. So it, it, it's kind of tricky. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like, uh, sort of like you and me. In theory, in well, technically, we're both computational biologists, yes. but we both do very different things, <laughs> exactly. right? And so you could lump us if you in a, in a really low resolution way. You could say Josh and Tommy do the same thing, yes. uh, but it, but the truth is a lot more complicated than that. In that we we really do very different things. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good analogy. Uh, that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that's very interesting. Um, well. I think it's fantastic. And I love the fact that you guys are making some progress. I, that, I think that's very exciting. Uh, and to be honest, I've got to say, I love random forests. 
I know uh, people ask me all the time what my favorite ML method is. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest. I love random forests because they allow you, they, they just, they're easy to interpret. Yes. Um, I know what they're doing. They can do, they can, they allow all kinds of data, tabular data, uh, not just numeric data. You can kind of throw whatever you want at them. And I also love that you can use them as a clustering algorithm. Right. Right. Um, and I just think that's the, I, that thing right there. A lot of people were like, well, how do I cluster if I've got tabular data? Most clustering algorithms only allow numerical data, yes, but, yes. but random forests allow, you can throw anything in there and it's like, I'm going to cluster this data for you. I think that's super cool. And so you, really you, you actually about... remind me of that video, that <laughs> the, the StackQuest <laughs> video. And... I know. That's one of my all-time favorites. Nobody, not, well, I say nobody watches it. Very few people, relatively few people watch it. And the, uh, one of the big problems, the Achilles heel of this, is that uh, that clustering, is om- as far as I know, it's only implemented in the R implementation of I Random see, Forest. I see. The, the Python implementation does not feature it, even though I think it's so cool. So maybe one day someone else will implement it for me because I'm not a good enough coder to make that happen. Um, but before we go, I was wondering, Tommy, if you could give uh, me and uh, ba- anyone else in the audience, you know, if you have any advice of things that you've learned along the way you've had you you came from basically the most humblest of beginnings and you went all you were all the way at the top mm-hmm. you know you went to harvard and then beyond um and i just i there has to be a nugget in there of something like uh that you learned along the way that you think could help other people sure sure i, I would lo- I'd like to share so i think you need to learn meta skills which means the skills that enables you to learn anything. So, like, just uh, take uh, like deep learning for example. Like I'm like learning deep learning recently, and the, how I learn it. So first, I will read a book. So, uh, deep learning with R or deep learning with Python. There are books like that. So I will go through the examples the co- with code. So of course, those will not be actually related to biology. It will be it will be like sentiment analysis, movie review, or like product uh, recommendation. But just go through the code. It helps me to understand okay what parameters that I need to uh, pay attention to, or understand the the architecture of of the neural network. Okay, after I go that uh, finish that, I will watch your video. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just even get a high level understanding of uh, what's going on, right? For for different uh, architectures, convolutionally neural network. I mean, thank you again for making those videos, and uh, then you understand those, right? Then, because I'm working on uh, computational biology, so I will apply what I just learned to a specific biological question, and I will use uh, example data sets, uh, biological data, and and implement the same neural, neural net, network and on that data and, and just get, get familiar with how, how it works. And then eventually, you need to actually uh, do a project with what you just learned. And that's essentially how I learned bioinformatics uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. So that's how I learned it because only if you can code it by yourself, or, or the other trick is that you want to actually share what you learn. So that's why I also write blog posts on, on my website, diveintogeneticsandgenomics.com. And you will see 
I share how I actually learned, how I actually write those uh, uh, neural networks. And if you can teach other people, that means you are uh, uh, you already like good, uh, well understand uh, the problem. So that's that's also one trick that, that that I use. Yeah. And actually, you just reminded me. You do have this incredible blog, um, and you are currently writing posts about learning deep learning. Correct. So I'm yeah I'm, I'm writing one blog post how I am learning uh, deep learning. Yeah, it will be out I think next week sometime. Yeah. Okay, and can you just tell us what's the name of your blog? So if anyone wants to learn deep learning and they want an ad additional resource, yeah. uh, what's the name of your the blog? The name is divingintogeneticsandgenomics.com. Divingintogeneticsandgenomics.com. Correct. Fantastic. Well, we should all check that out, especially if you're interested in genetics and genomics and the application of deep learning, uh, which I think has a great potential uh, to yield some awesome stuff. So I hope some people can check that out. Um, well, Tommy, I got to say thank you very much for being on my podcast. It's a real honor to have you here. Um, I've just, I've enjoyed sort of talking with you and, and learning from you over the years. And so it's, it's, a, it's great to have you here. And um, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. I'm so humble. Like it's my honor to be here. Yeah. Oh, thanks.